Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hello and welcome to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined today by Noah. Hi, y'all. And Lou. Hey, guys. On today's show, we're going to be talking about a sequence, really, of book bans that have been coming through state legislatures uh, around the country, most prominently probably in Florida, where the governor, Ron DeSantis, is all but openly running for the GOP nomination for president next year. At this point, he hasn't officially announced his candidacy, but everyone assumes that he will be the guy trying to take down Donald Trump in that primary, which has lent naturally a lot of media scrutiny to his actions and has elevated his profile to a national stage. But it is not exclusive to Florida. It's happening in Texas and Iowa and you know the sorts of states that we talked about on our most recent episode as trying to roll back child labor laws. And to some extent, I think there is a connection between our last subject and this one today. But for now, we're going to talk about what these bills are, what they do. Noah, do you want to give like a summary of what's happening? Sure. So a lot of these bills share they're they might have slightly different particulars but they share a lot of the general thrust and that's because they were written by the same organizations generally this most misnomer organization in the country the american federation for children which used to be headed by betsy devos before she became secretary of education under donald trump and uh, led, spearheaded uh, the Department of Education, essentially becoming the federal agency for school privatization. Most of these bills, what they do is, quote-unquote, address sexually explicit material in school libraries. Some of them go so far as to include libraries in general. Some of them also address any material that is politically charged, which in, which in the United States means I don't agree with it. So it's been taken to mean anything that is, well, in the case of Florida, we know exactly what it is, because the act is called Stop Woke, which I believe was an acronym for Stop Wrongs, uh, and it's not against, but it, it's something like that, a kids and educators, or something like that. And it legitimately says, you know, we're, we're going to remove any materials or you have to remove any materials that are deemed anti-American and so on and so on. Here's an approved list. And then you have to submit a compliance report every year explaining how you got rid of these books. There's a couple of things here because book burning and book bans in America always, always, always evoke the Nazis because the United States is incapable of not remembering World War II as the last time they were the good guys in anything. And prima facie kind of funny that that's happening here and somehow nobody's kind of, none of the people who are still alive and remember that time, I kind of go like, hold up, I see some similarities here. It's, it's very few people. And then the second thing that you have here Ron DeSantis, because he's running the 2024 primary against Trump, and Trump already called him Meatball Ron or whatever it was, there's a lot of people who have decided, well, he can't beat Trump in a primary, so he's not important. These are the same people who, when the 2024 midterm, or sorry, 2022 midterm elections happen, and Republicans didn't win 90 seats in the House, went, oh, well, this was a win for Joe Biden. Turns out school choice advocates or school privatization advocates uh, lost, and it turns out that anti-wokeism doesn't win elections. It did at the state level. And a lot of those school boards and other educational control agencies and so on saw a heavy rightward tilt, as did even more state legislatures. Because the not necessarily in terms of party identification, but in terms of Republicans being replaced by Republicans to their right. So 
as a result, these things keep happening despite everybody assuring each other that everything is fine and Ron DeSantis can't be president, so it's all okay. Well, we have what we have. Ron DeSantis is using his complete supermajority in the Florida state legislature to do this stuff. He's banning he's banning books, he's banning pronouns. You're you're not allowed as an educator to um use pronouns for a student other than when they were assigned at birth, which is interesting because I don't think you get assigned pronouns at birth, but whatever. He has spearheaded a hostile takeover, and that would be language that he would agree with, I'm sure, of the new College of Florida, which is a small liberal arts institution that he wants to turn into the Hillsdale of the South. He's trying to remove public funding from public schools. In fact, he has by passing an education privatization bill, a school voucher bill that just basically hands money to rich people so they can go to religious schools. It's private schools. It's mostly religious schools. So the state of Florida is is not just a Republican blueprint for what they want to do to education nationally, but I think what you're going to see over the course of the rest of this episode is that it's also a statement of sort of where the values of education in this country are. Because people love to crow about the fact that, you know, Americans in general don't agree with this and so on. And okay, then why is it happening? That's what we need to answer. And I think we're going to do some of that over the course of this episode. But there's a lot of questions still left. To a large degree, our discourse about politics has become nationalized in the sense that everything is argued about from the perspective of the federal government and from what's happening in D.C., and so what happens on the state level sometimes gets overlooked. DeSantis's bills here and the things he has passed in Florida are viewed almost as campaign statements for a future presidential run and not as things that have effect on the people of Florida, the third most populous state in the country. No, I mean, I think you guys... Are right, like so much of this is politically motivated, and and as I mentioned in the last episode that we answered, like it's profoundly hypocritical because on the one hand we're telling our children that you know you should be working all day every day and school is irrelevant, and on the other hand they're they're creating these situations where parents have rights, and and there's now talk of a parental rights bill, and it was Congress that was going to have a parental rights um, bill, so. On the one hand, parents can't be interfering with the, the amount of work that their children are, are doing. Um, but on the other hand, they can dictate the curriculum for all the other children in a school district or classroom. And I guess at the end of the day, it's not very hypocritical to them because they want children stupid. That's what they want. I, I think it's not hypocrisy so much as a consistent application of the belief that their views should be backed by state power and the things that benefit other people should be, you know, opposed by state power. They want what benefits them. And for a lot of governors and, you know, no small amount of parents in the United States, they do not want an education system that exposes their children to the idea that, People have different sexual identities. People have different sexualities. People have things that are not the way they were raised back in the 1950s or, you know, whatever decade it may have been. There is a fear that these people have, which is entirely illegitimate and based on decades upon decades of propaganda labeling schools as indoctrination factories and this whole idea that. To go back just a couple years to our big national debate about critical race theory and the idea that it was plaguing our elementary schools, the 2021 Virginia governor's race was really, um, in the media at least, a battle over critical race theory in schools. And that really dovetails in with this current push to remove anything that might even acknowledge the existence of trans people from school libraries. These are part of the same effort to remove power from teachers and place it in the hands of 
not parents, but wealthy parents, people who already have power in society. I think that's the most important distinction you can draw there. And we're not going to get to this point for a while because all of these governors, all of the wealthy people backing these efforts are at pains to constantly say that they are not just advantaging. I have never had to say that word out loud before. The wealthy, that this is about low-income students. This is about students with disabilities. This is about, you know, people who are perceived to be less if you're a wealthy person with money to throw around on politics. But you understand that you don't want to seem like a robber baron. I don't know why. We've made it very explicit that that's the people that we actually worship in this country. I don't know why you wouldn't want to be. But they keep insisting that. And it's very... It has never been a thinner veneer than it is now. It is extremely obvious that all of these bills are all to the benefit of the rich. Because, again, I work in a school with rich kids. And it's not, it, it's not a public school. Let me tell you, whose library is not going to get scrutinized by the state, no matter how bad New York gets? My school. Let me tell you which schools are not going to have to submit compliance reports to the Florida Department of Education. Private schools. They won't have to for two reasons, which is one, having the parental community that they have is going to guarantee that they don't put those books or read those articles or engage with those works in the first place. But even if they did, nobody's going to come around to check because there's an internal policing mechanism already in place. This is a two-pronged attack on public education. The attempt is to, one, defund public schools by moving all of that money to private and charter schools that cannot otherwise stay open when they can't depend on free uh, clerical and volunteer labor. The other prong is to make it impossible to be a public school teacher. And we know that it has rarely been this bad. It hasn't been, if I remember correctly, this is a, a recent study that came out on measures of teacher prestige which most Americans consider an oxymoron, but let me explain. So it's questions like, are you okay with your kid becoming a teacher? Would that make you comfortable? Is it, to high school students, would you consider becoming a teacher? To college students, are you preparing to become a teacher? And if you're a teacher, are you willing to stay? How soon are are you wanting to leave teaching? And what we've seen in all of these measures is that they're dipping to levels that I think have never been seen, in the last 50 years. The last time it was even close to this bad was the 70s. And then teachers unions became more militant, started demanding more concessions from state and federal governments. And the result that we got was a 30-year sustained assault by every level of government, a lot of parents, and a lot of school officials, actually, principals and so on, that didn't feel like doing their half of the job against teachers. These parents want, I I agree, Lou, these parents want their kids stupid, but I think more than anything, America as a whole has a problem with the idea that a teacher is an authority, either in the sense of expertise, of knowledge in their field, or in the sense of somebody who's got any kind of, like I said, prestige or any kind of authority over a classroom or anything like that. Americans hate being told what to do, and they hate the idea that anybody is smarter than them. And a teacher is bo- it's supposed to be, ideally speaking, both of those things. And we as teachers are supposed to constantly talk about, I learn as much from my students as they learn from me. What? I get what that's supposed to mean. But if that's the case, you're not doing your job right. Like, it's not just about knowledge. I'm not saying, uh, you know, factual knowledge. You're supposed to also be imparting character lessons and how you do things. But it, it's, we have this weird love-hate relationship with education where we want the best teachers available, but we want to treat them like crap. And you cannot do that. Yeah. I want to put sort of some concrete details to what these bills do and what they are, because we've talked about book bans and that's kind of self-explanatory, but just to give um, some details from some of the articles here. For example, in North Dakota, This is an article from last week, March 29th. North Dakota lawmakers on Wednesday moved bills targeting books with sexual content further along with one bill nearing final passage. Uh, The bill would, quote, 
remove or relocate explicit sexual material from public libraries, children's collections. So not just school libraries, but public libraries. And of course, the whole, a lot of the argument is what constitutes explicit sexual material, because for the lot of people writing these bills, it is, you know, the acknowledgement that some kid might be trans. It is, you know, talking, having a gay character in a book that counts as explicit sexual content. There's a bill in Texas, which has apparently like within the last day before we recorded been overturned for now by a federal judge, which removed from Texas public libraries books that dealt with LGBTQ and racial content, um, which racial content is a hell of a euphemism there because in this country, what isn't? Yeah, this just to, to interrupt for a second, it's worth noting that if telling your country's history objectively and fully is considered anti-American, then that should be more eye-opening than it's not. And that's the biggest criticism of the, the critical race theory backlash. There have been multiple people who have pointed out that a lot of the people who are writing these bills and trying to ban these books and a lot of the state senators who want these books gone from libraries probably have some real skeletons in the family closet they don't want you to know about. Skeletons that might involve nooses, if you catch my meaning. So there is part of the reason for this is that they don't want kids to know American history because it actively implicates them and their families in it. And they can't deal with that possibility. If everyone learning history means that I have to feel bad about what my great grandfather did, then no one gets to learn history. This CNN article on the federal judge overturning Texas's ban and ordering books put back on shelves describes it as a book banning boom. This is happening not just in Texas, not just in Florida, but again, around the country. Quoting from the article, books ordered returned to shelves include Cast, The Origins of Our Discontents by Isabel Wilkerson. They called themselves the KKK, The Birth of an American Terrorist Group by Susan Cabot Bartoletti, and Being Jazz, My Life as a Transgender Teen by Jazz Jennings. Famously in Florida, I think one of the books cited as like removed from a school shelf was on Rosa Parks. There's a lot of American history that, like Lou said, if actually taught, would run afoul of these bills as written and not just as written, but as intended. It's not just an oops technicality that these books are caught up in those bands, but catching them up in the weeds is part of the idea um as a puerto rican baseball fan i have to point out that another one that got banned was uh roberto a book about roberto clemente possibly the greatest puerto rican no you know what i'm just gonna say the greatest puerto rican baseball player ever and what's particularly funny about that one is the number of people who use that as some kind of like own on ron DeSantis that he was some kind of nerd who spent high school getting shoved in lockers and that's why he couldn't deal with a book about a a black latina uh baseball player ron DeSantis was a baseball star in florida played in college there's a baseball card out there with him on it he was team captain i guarantee you ron DeSantis knows who roberto clemente is but of course because one of the not funny, but one of one of the most like disappointing bits about this whole discourse is how many Americans, ironically, have never left high school psychologically, either because they peaked there or because they want the world to still be like that with like clearly defined social cliques and with, you know, lunch tables where you hang out with people who think and dress like you and all that. And that is actively disabling this discourse. Because to think about education in any real way, you do have to move beyond your adolescent self, and a whole lot of people are not willing to. Which, boy, in the next two segments, are we going to get into that? I think we've just about given an overview of what these bills are, what they do. In this segment, we're going to call it quits here. When we come back for segment two, we'll get into 
some of the actual impact these bills are having on the ground for teachers and librarians and, you know, the workers involved, the people that we on Punching Out are obviously going to be focused on. We'll be back. You're listening to Punching Out on WAYOLP Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Noah. Still hi, y'all. And Lou. Hey, guys. In our first segment today, we talked about the book bans that have uh, swept through state legislatures, mostly uh, Republican state legislatures uh, across this country in recent months. They've been seeking to remove content that could be seen as pro the existence of gay and trans people from school library shelves and in some cases, public library shelves. Um, in this segment, I want to talk a bit about sort of the people who that who these bills then put on, so to speak, the front lines of the culture wars, which is largely teachers and school librarians who are having to deal with the concrete impacts of all of this, um, to say nothing of the students at hand, but it's teachers and librarians whose jobs and livelihoods are on the line here. There's an article in Mother Jones from um, their May and June issue. It was put online in March. Headline, closed by the order of the governor, teachers in the crossfire of Florida's war on public education. The article starts with this anecdote about a teacher named Jean Falk. On January 23rd, Jean Falk opened her inbox to find an email labeled urgent from her principal at Bayshore High School in Bradenton, Florida. Based on clarifications from the state in December, teacher-created classroom libraries fall under what the state is defining as library material. Wendell Butler Jr. wrote to a staff of 75 or so teachers. Falk and her colleagues suddenly were expected to cross-check their books against an online catalog of district-approved titles. If a book wasn't in the system, it would have to be inspected by a librarian. The email instructed Bayshore's faculty to remove or cover classroom libraries until the materials had been reviewed. Ultimately, if that stuff isn't removed, if it isn't properly vetted, it's going to be the teachers who are held accountable for it. And that's, I mean, as much as uh, these legislators love dumping on minority communities in this country on racial and sexual minorities. It is no small part the fact that these bills will impact teachers that is part driving it. These shouldn't be competing interests. They're not, to be clear. But sometimes when you do bring that up, you kind of get a why is is that the part that we're caring about and not the fact that students won't have access to these texts and so on. I'm like, well, we should care about that because Chris Rufo, who is a conservative trustee on the new College of Florida, thanks to Ron DeSantis, openly says that's the point. Like, they they tell you openly what they want to do. They want to control what your kids know. They want to control who gets to teach them. They want to fire or ban or dismiss or, frankly, if they could get away with it, probably execute everyone who disagrees with them. So they are not at all lying to you about what they want to do other than the double speak and inventing like a teacher's bill of rights that is nothing of the kind. It's interesting to mention that in particular because teaching historically has been one of the first inroads for minorities and uh, women and even minorities in terms of sexual identity and gender expression and so on into a more middle-class existence. But because it's a knowledge-based job, it's an interpersonal job, it's a job that requires education, it automatically makes people suspicious. Well, it makes these people suspicious. And as a result, this is a a get-to-birdstone-the-once moment for them because, A, they get to further destroy public education, 
And not only do they get to remove that knowledge from students, but they get to get rid of people who represent those minorities in the workforce and in teaching. They get to have a wider, mailer, older, significantly more rightward teaching force. And that is what they want. That's why DeSantis is like letting veterans and their wives teach, like being a troop somehow makes you qualified to lead a classroom. The fact that that didn't get the Florida state legislature just completely overturned, like, screw this. Let's get rid of all of these bums. The fact that that didn't happen is, to me, proof positive that, frankly, the values of this country on education as a whole, like where the the like weight is here, is completely in the wrong place. I'm reminded a bit of some of the history laid out in Sarah Jaffe's book, Work Won't Love You Back, which goes into the history of teachers' unions in the United States. And the U.S. is actually somewhat distinct from other countries in that the teaching profession was dominated by women. It was primarily seen as women's work for so long. And even this stuff, this panic about teachers having, you know, radical politics that they are imposing upon students is not some new thing. This goes back to the Red Scare. This goes back to the fear of, um, like, Jewish teachers imposing communism and radicalism upon students in the 1940s and earlier. Because as a largely government-hired profession, there have not been nearly the amount of racial and ethnic discrimination in the hiring process as in private fields. So like Noah, you said, it was a route for women and racial minorities to get a middle-class profession without dealing with some of the private discrimination out there, which isn't to say that they were on a level playing field, but government policies meant that there was a little bit more protection for them. And historically, that has been to the ire of a specific subset of students' parents who fear that. It is not a coincidence that when the Virginia governor's race was having its big national debate about CRT, it was parents who were put to the front lines by people like Chris Rufo and right-wing culture warriors. Do you remember the big protests at like school board meetings just a couple of years ago from outraged parents who were hounding school board members and hounding them out of their roles and their jobs in many cases because they just didn't want to have to deal with these people anymore. They're like, this has been weaponized from the start against teachers as a unionized force, as a force that, you know, has power in their own right. And I think, you know, not only is teaching historically had more government protections against discrimination. It's also been an area where people outside of the general fold could have some kind of living. So, you know, you think of like Little House on the Prairie and teaching was a profession for women. Uh, You know, one room schoolhouse where you had your spinster aunt um, teaching. So, So people outside of the fold were able to have some kind of place where they could exist. And part, I would suspect that part of the backlash against teaching as a profession now is to that, to force people who don't necessarily fit in within the typical gender roles of women stay at home and raise babies and men go out and earn a living. I suspect that that has a lot to do as well with this backlash is in forcing very strict gender roles in back into society that we've gotten a little bit away from in the past few decades. Yeah. So having had to teach through COVID and in a school that is non-union, so I didn't have any of the, you know, I, I couldn't demand protections, right? We were told our pay would be cut if we went remote, that kind of thing. 
watching all those news articles about people just losing their minds at school board members and like putting their uh, showing their kids off and and using them as battering rams against COVID protection. Oh my God, don't you want to see my kids smile and all of that? It is a weaponization, but it's a willing weaponization. A lot of parents in this country want that to be the thing. Uh, we talked in the last in the last episode. Uh, Lou mentioned that a lot of parents see parenthood as a special status that confers like a certain like you're like one of the Calvinist elect all of a sudden because you had a kid. And particularly funny in the case of the fathers, who by definition did not have the kid. That was somebody else's job. You have these uh, these people who consider the act of procreation to somehow turn you into a demigod who should have an outsized impact on your community. And when you combine that with all of the other cultural impacts that make people distrust teachers, distrust schools, and all of that, what you end up with, and then on top of that, because this is the thing, people, I think people overstate the impact of things like media on people because or rather i would say it's part of the feedback loop because we have a poorly educated populace that has no media literacy ergo when fox news when tucker carlson says some dumb crap on his show that is obviously false they can't recognize it for the lie that it is so they believe it thereby encouraging them like uh, putting them further into that mindset and that turns them against the idea of anybody else having any media literacy. I've been complaining about this since I started teaching, that we have no capacity for this in our educational system, that most kids get absolutely no training in this, that this country hates the idea of anything being intellectually deployed unless it's about sports. You can talk about great sports writing all you want. Everything else is for eggheads. And we have never moved beyond that McCarthyist anti-intellectualism as a culture. We just haven't, period. This is not an arguable fact. As a result, it just continues building in on itself. We just keep kind of like coiling and coiling and coiling further in. You never had parents. You don't have parents vociferously showing up to school board meetings to defend unionized teachers. You have unionized teachers going on strike to defend People, other people at their schools. You have teachers standing up, ironically, for parents' rights to want an education for their children, a full education for their children, a public education for their children. But you don't have, largely, communities standing up for the value of education. Because I think, and this might get us to why this is so covered in the media, I think this is an issue that reaches a level of self-identity that few things do. The right wants this to be a public policy battle, but it's not. It's a battle over cultural values. And I think a lot of people who might think of themselves as progressive, who might think of themselves as public education supporters, the moment that it brushes up against their conception of what made them personally successful, the moment that they think about the one or two bad experiences they might have had in high school, I do know that there are people for whom it was a living hell, and I understand those people. But there are people who are literal, who literally carry grudges over having one bad teacher or song. Grudges that they would never carry against a bad boss, against a bad colleague, against a bad friend for that matter. But specifically with school, they'll carry that grudge for the rest of their lives. And it stops them from being willing to put themselves on the line for that. Until something horrible like these Florida book bans happen. But this is, I would even argue that this is not the thin end of the wedge anymore. This is the thick end. The thin end of the wedge was No Child Left Behind and test-based accountability and all those bills that happened 13 years ago to weaken teachers' unions. The thin end of the wedge was AFSCME versus Janice. This is the thick end. This is the part that they are being obvious about. And there are a lot of people who think they have the right values about this, but are still not willing to organize to meet that moment, either because they live in a state that thinks it doesn't have to worry about that, or because maybe they don't have kids and they don't think it's relevant to them, or because they don't understand how they personally could make things better. But the thing is, if we believe in a public education system, that that's a community responsibility in a good way, Instead of the way the right is treating it, which is like, if one parent gets mad about a book, you have to take it off the shelves. 
that's not a community control. That's we listen to one person. Right. That is to some extent the um, tyranny of the mob that rhetorically they despised. At any rate, to get this out of the realm of rhetoric and into uh, the concrete again, I'm going to quote again from the Mother Jones article and the teacher Jean Falk. Quote, according to the statute signed into law in March 2022, all books in public school libraries or assigned reading lists should be, quote, free of pornography. And here I'm going to make an aside to note that Pornography is famously an ill-defined term. It is a term that has a vaguer definition than maybe anything. And continuing, approved by certified librarians who attended an annual mandatory Florida Department of Education online training. It encourages librarians to, quote, err on the side of caution and no wonder. Books found to be in violation of a separate pre-existing law prohibiting the distribution of pornographic materials to minors could trigger a third-degree felony charge carrying up to five years in prison and a $5,000 fine. Teachers theoretically could lose their certification should they violate the new law. Uh, The teacher they quote in this article is talking about retirement, talking about, you know, leaving the profession entirely, admittedly they are 65 years old, but talking about quitting rather than putting up with any of this. And it should be noted that this bill, this book ban is accompanied by a number of other uh, efforts in Florida specifically to overhaul that state's education system. There's an effort underway to basically take over the new college of Florida. Uh, Noah, you alluded to this briefly in the first segment. Quote from an AP article. In January, DeSantis and his allies overhauled the 13-member board of trustees and installed a majority of conservative figures. The new trustees promptly fired the college president and replaced her with a Republican politician, the first of several administrators to lose their jobs. Next, they dismantled the Office of Diversity and Equity. They have not revealed future plans, but trustees have posted vague warnings on social media like, you will see changes in 120 days. Changes so far have come in tandem with a new bill DeSantis unveiled January 31st aimed at overhauling higher education in Florida. The new bill would ban gender studies majors and minors, eliminate diversity programs and any hiring based on diversity, weaken tenure protections, and put all hiring decisions in the hands of each university's board of trustees. So that kind of, just to to go off, that reminded me that there's been a, a slew of other colleges that have eliminated the, the soft majors. So like anything with humanities, English, uh, second languages, uh, art, anything that isn't business or economics or something that, that would make people money. I, you know, Noah's been talking about it for years. I'm sure I've mentioned it as well about how these attacks on specific, like education and just learning for learning's sake will end up and have end up supporting these kind of really regressive policies. We've framed this argument as, well, you need to go to college in order to make money and you're not going to be making money if you're a Russian literature major or if you're an art major or if you're doing anything other than studying engineering, uh, law, even then the lawyers need to be careful with how liberal their education is because otherwise that's, that's not okay. Economics, like it has to be one of those hard things. And this is exactly the result of that is that you're having Ron DeSantis come through and say, well, these are the, the woke courses. We can't have those anymore. No, I did point out that I say that said that economics were a hard science. I take that is not a correct fact. I, I would I would argue it's the opposite of a correct fact. It is an incorrect. It is an incorrect fiction. It is it, correct. Uh, that that is correct. Uh, to the people who would think that economics are a hard science, these are the same people who are against art and who are against enriching our minds and becoming better people. 
And there, these two arguments go hand in hand exactly. There's there's something so I was a private school kid and that's why for a long time I kind of kept my mouth shut about public education because I didn't experience it. Um, you know, and public education in Puerto Rico is its own brand of hell in a lot of ways. Those of you who've been listening for a long time, the real punching out heads, you know that we've covered some of that. But one of the things that my school talked a lot about that I don't hear anywhere in the rhetoric or in the policies of these bills, these governors, one thing that I've never heard is the word citizenship. That was part of our mission statement. That was part of our goals for what should a student from our school look like when they graduate from our school. It was a good citizen, not a productive citizen. You'll notice a good citizen participating in democracy, capable of making informed decisions. That is nowhere in any of this. And we've been talking about how this affects teachers, but because we're a show about labor, right? The other effect that this has is that this creates a working class that doesn't have the capacity, doesn't have the knowledge to participate in the democratic process with a full knowledge of American history, of American institutions. I know that when we took away civics classes and replaced it with AP government, so that only a few people knew how many people are in the House of Representatives, you know, or how you're supposed to vote, that kind of thing. When we made it, when we took away, when we take away history education, which in the Mother Jones article, Marvin Dunn, who's a professor emeritus at uh, Florida International University, he talks about the values specifically of Florida history, civil rights history in the state, that he takes people to the site of the Rosewood Massacre, where an entire black town was burned down by white people, some of whom I'm betting have descendants in the Florida state legislature. This is living history here. The, it, and, it's, and this, I will say, is true all over the United States. Some states, I think, and this is what really scares me, is that if Florida feels emboldened enough, if DeSantis feels emboldened enough to do this kind of thing, we've already seen what happens when he says, no, we're going to ban AP African-American studies. You know, what happens to College Board, because they're a bunch of cowards, backs down on a bunch of its themes, changes the curriculum, then fires back and tries to claim that they didn't do it because of him. Come on. And then a few other states start threatening, now we're going to take a look. Because you had the audacity to, number one, chicken out, and then try to get a rhetorical victory, a symbolic victory on DeSantis. And that's not going to work. And again, we see this. The College Board got praised for that response after it had already removed some of the material that DeSantis was objecting to. So they're winning this fight. They're winning it just like Texas kept winning battles over textbooks because it was the biggest market for them. They're winning all of these fights because they have the population and they have the willingness to go this far. And meanwhile, the best that, frankly, the states that like give a little bit more of a damn can do is say, well, we're not going to get rid of as many civil rights courses. We're not going to get rid of as many majors. We're not going to defund public education to quite the same extent. That's not going to do it. That's not going to cut it. That's not an alternative vision. That's the same vision through a spineless liberalism. And it, it, it's not going to win against the desire of these people to control every moment of a kid's cap capacity to gain knowledge. It's not going to win over the desire to just hand the wheel over to a bunch of angry, white, wealthy parents who are afraid that their kid might, might decide that they're gay or might decide that, you know, actually, I, you know, it, it, it seems kind of messed up that, you know, there's a generational wealth gap or might decide that their, their um, I don't know, their friend who thinks maybe they, they identify as a different gender, that they can't be treated the same way. They are actively stifling the possibility of community because they cannot take the possibility that they will be shut out of it. Yeah. As much as these bills talk about being part of the, are talked about in the media as being part of a quote unquote culture war, 
there is a real battle over resources as well. There is a material aspect to all of this. To give an example, the Missouri House in the last week uh, put forth a budget that would uh, huh, defund its state's public library system, in part, as noted in the article, because the public libraries, along with the ACLU, are suing over the state's book ban. To quote from an NPR article about this. Let's see. <clears throat> the debate over public library funding continued from the House Budget Committee to the floor. Last week, Smith proposed a cut of $4.5 million in state aid to public libraries. Smith cited a lawsuit filed against the state by the ACLU of Missouri on behalf of the Missouri Association of School Librarians and the Missouri Library Association as reason for the cut. The lawsuit seeks to overturn a state law passed last session that bans sexually explicit material from schools and has resulted in school districts pulling books from their shelves. I don't think we should subsidize that effort, so we're going to take out the funding, Smith said. Just explicitly kind of wielding these book bans and the inevitable response they will receive from librarians as, and teachers as reason to remove funding from those librarians and teachers. When teachers push back, that will be evidence of just how liberal and radical those teachers are and why we need to strip funding from public schools, put it towards private schools and homeschool parents. And at the end of the day, nobody will have to deal with these crazy teachers anymore. And Noah, you were right to point out that unfortunately, the response from the parts of the country that some might expect to do better has not been better enough. I live in New York City now. The mayor wants to cut our library budgets because he needs that money to pay more cop overtime and uh, settle some lawsuits against police brutality, I guess. The Brooklyn Public Library is talking about cutting its Saturday service because they just won't have the money to be open those days. That's the library I rely on. Saturday is the day I would go. And it's particularly notable to talk about this in light of the fact that many of these bills would cost the state millions and millions of dollars because you have to hire people to do these compliance reports. Now, Florida, to be fair, basically has its own secret police that are volunteers because I guess there's a lot of rich parents who have nothing to do all day but spy on teachers and librarians. So there is that. But a lot of the other ones actually have a cost estimate attached. So you are spending money that you are not currently spending for policing, but book policing, which again, I'm told we were against in this country. We've never been against in this country. Let's be clear. Was it Florida or some other state that had put forth the idea of recording every class, basically, so that teachers or parents could see if their teachers were putting forth objectionable content to, to their students? I think specifically in the context of the critical race theory debate a couple of years ago. It probably, I mean, statistically it was Florida, but I think what we need to talk more about here is... Uh, the fact that the Florida volunteer parent squads that are going to come around and, and ministry of truth, your books away, I believe we're called woke busters. Great. I, I already, I'm already writing the theme song in my head and I hate this. <laughs> that's let's well, not. I think before we wrap up this show, we don't have time for a full third segment, but there is one more article that's, Worth getting to here. Oh, God. Again, it takes place in Florida. Noah, you might know something about this um, because the classics, they are your area of expertise, are they not? You know That, that, is, you, that is correct. Yeah. There's an article in Slate uh, with the very explicit headline of an interview with the school board chair who forced out a principal after Michelangelo's David was shown in class. <laughs> Uh, Michelangelo's David, for those who might not be familiar, is a very famous sculpture of a very nude man. Fa famously, like, 
his genitals have been covered by fig leaf in history. You know, famous sculpture happens to be nude. And because of that nudity, a Florida principal was fired from the classical education school. Excuse me, like all of the reporters that the chairman of the board or whatever his title is talked to, you are operating from the an incorrect premise. She was not removed. She resigned. Okay, she was given a choice. She could either resign herself or she would be terminated without cause by the board. It also should be noted that it wasn't she was not going to be removed or terminated had she not chosen to resign because of the statue. So, so she had no cause, and definitely that cause was not that statue, the photo of the statue. Yeah, noted uh, noted walrus, Barney Bishop III here, uh, feels the need to mention that the statue had nothing to do with it like 15 times, uh, which some would say is protesting too much. That's something else you might recognize with a classical education, but I'm sure that Shakespeare is not getting taught in this school either, because... None of these, because well, if it is, it's taught in the like stripped down editions that have like all of it translated because you can't expect kids to be able to read it anyway. Certainly not the kind of kid pay for this education. The other thing that's interesting here is that he keeps claiming that it's because they didn't follow a practice that they were supposed to warn parents, Hey, Michelangelo's David is going to be shown in this class. Are you okay? Like, if you have a problem with your kid seeing an amphibulated penis, you need to let us know that right now. Can't believe I may have gotten that phrase into. <laughs> Some of this article is I, I really think the only way to capture it is just to read it verbatim. Please do. It's presented in the form of a QA, presumably unedited, from slate reporter Dan Coys and this um chair Barney Bishop the third, who <laughs> The caption under his photo notes that the photo is courtesy of Barney Bishop Consulting LLC. <laughs> which... <laughs> fake, fake business. Uh, Dan Coys asks, the statue wasn't part of the reason the board forced her to resign. Bishop responds, that was an issue, along with many others. Look, she wasn't surprised. She knew what was the purpose of our meeting. She had two questions. Have you talked to the whole board? And how long do I have to decide between the two letters? The meeting was five minutes long. It wasn't like, oh my God, you don't want me at the school anymore? Coy's responds, I think in this situation, some boards would say, we're going to stand by the principal, the trained educator, as opposed to a handful of parents who have an issue. Why did you not go this way? Bishop, what issue do you believe people had? Uh, Coy's, that the statue was pornographic. Bishop, you're operating from the wrong premise. The teacher mentioned that this was a non-pornographic picture, number one. The teacher said, don't tell your parents, number two. So the issue, Dan, isn't whether children should see the pictures or not. Gosh, we're a classical school. Why wouldn't we show Renaissance art to children? Coys, yes, I had a question about that. How <laughs> <laughs> did you mention it? So... The, the thing is, by the way, sorry, to pick up the thread that I, I left hanging there. So he says, we didn't follow the practice of warning parents. But then it turns out that the teacher said that, can you please send a notice to parents that I'm going to show Michelangelo's David? The principal just kind of messed up and didn't send that checkout. And the teacher is somehow guilty in this for not checking that the principal did her job. So, like, this is all the the ultimate, like, process failure is ultimately what this guy is putting out there. So he is at pains to to make this weird disconnect between whether the statue was pornographic or not and whether the teacher saying don't tell your parents is a big deal. Like, the, you know, that's a problem and so on. And all I'm thinking here is, you said the classics are my area of expertise. The question I would have asked, and maybe this is why I'm not a journalist working for Slate, is do you allow teachers to beat their kids? Because in a classical education, they were allowed to. And I'm pretty sure Florida is one of the last in local parentis states where there is some place for corporal punishment in schools. So, I mean, what's the problem? I thought we, uh, I thought that uh, sparing the rod spoiled the child. But somehow I don't think that that's going to be the case. And... To be clear, I'm not saying that's a good idea. I am, in fact, saying it's a terrible idea, like everything else these people believe. 
it, it's there's a reason I study the classics. I study them precisely because they were horrible people. They were monsters, and a lot of their societal assumptions are repellent to us. And I want to know how people like this got up every morning and like went about their day dealing with the fact that they lived in slaveholding societies that had no often no place for alternate sexual identities or that accepted sexual violence as just a fact of life. But, you know, I wouldn't be able to do that under the educational program that these people are endorsing, even though we use the same term for our education. That's very strange to me. I think, ironically, it is Bishop who lays it all out best in this interview. Quoting from him, we're Florida, okay? Parents will decide. Parents are the ones who are going to drive the education system here in Florida. The governor said that, and we're with the governor. Parents don't decide what is taught, but parents know what that curriculum is. And parents are entitled to know any time their child is being taught a controversial topic and picture. Parents choose this school because they want a certain kind of education. We're not going to have courses from the college board. We're not going to teach 1619 or CRT crap. I knew they do do all that up in Virginia. The rights of parents, that trumps the rights of kids. Teachers are the experts. Teachers have all the knowledge? Are you kidding me? I know lots of teachers that are very good, but to suggest they are the authorities, you're on better drugs than me. Which raises some unanswered questions. <laughs> but those are not the questions that this interviewer asked, and they're not questions that I think on today's show we have time to answer. Noah, as the teacher here, do you want to offer some closing words? As a teacher... You are asked to put everything in your life aside for your students. Now, because of the wave of school violence, that includes your life. I don't know many people who go to work knowing that they that they might be expected to take not not to die in you know a random incident that happens, but to explicitly be told you have to take a bullet for the people that you are in charge of. The reason I start with that is that despite all of the complaints I have put out throughout this episode, the one thing I don't hate about my job is the moments when I feel actual communication and an actual relationship in the classroom. And what these people are doing is putting, is injecting the state, is injecting parents, is injecting Barney Bishop Consulting, is injecting all sorts of, you know, people's memory, hazy memories of the racist comments their grandparents said one time, or their desire to prevent their kid from exploring their sexual or gender identity. They are putting that in the way of what happens in classrooms. That is not how education happens. That is certainly not how public education happens. And it isn't how you end up with an informed populace. What the right and frankly a good sector of the center and even the left center is afraid of is people who are capable of doing critical thinking, which I hate using as a term because in this country it means agreeing with me. In this country, we assign words to things we disagree with. We call it racial content when it's not about white people. We call it explicit sexual content when it's not about heterosexual people. We call it politics when it's not right-wing politics. And ironically, what these people are calling education is nothing of the sort. It is indoctrination. And if we keep treating it like it's isolated to Florida or like it can't win a federal election, so it's not worth taking uh, seriously, this is going to be what national education looks like before you know it. So if you're if you're somebody who identifies as progressive or leftist or liberal, I implore you, this is something you need to organize around. Because teachers like me, I can't even... There's a limit to how much I can do as a non-union teacher. Even the unionized teachers need your help on this. They need people in the community to stand up for them. 
Because right now, the right is winning that fight. They are openly saying, and they are correct, that nobody else is standing up for teachers except other teachers. They are separating us from the rest of society. If you are interested in public education, you need to make it very clear that that is not true. For this week, I'm Punching Out. I'm Ryan. I'm Lou. I was Noah. This is Punching Out. You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out. And remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are. <laughs>